So next week when we go to two services and the crowd's split in half, you have to sing twice as hard. All right? I don't want there to be any, let not next week, but two weeks from now. Hey, I want to ask the boys and girls to come back and hang out with me again this morning for a couple of minutes. No movies this time. Disney took our uh, church service offline last week. We were legal by all copyright laws, but nobody told Mickey. Hey, while they're doing that, it's funny watching you guys come in. You're used to where you normally sit in your preferred hour of worship, and now you're all out of sorts. So just look to the people to your left, to your right, behind you, in front of you real quick. Just tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, it's good to see you. Glad you're here. All right, like make a new friend here today. All right. Any more boys and girls? All right. Hey, I got, uh, Melissa, I've got uh, number four right here, and I'm going to let the little boys and girls use this one. We're, I know we're live streaming, and there's a lot of people in this room, and we're going to roll the dice and give children a microphone. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Here's what I want to know, boys and girls. If you want to answer my question, you come over, stand by me so we can hear you, okay? Here's what I want to ask you. You've been hanging around Grace Life maybe all your life or maybe for a couple of weeks. You have probably seen some people serving the Lord in some different ways. I am curious today to hear from you. What is a way that maybe you've seen somebody serve the Lord that you think is pretty cool? Or maybe what's a way that you're interested in serving God? All right. She ain't scared. What's your name? Paxton. Paxton. That's an awesome name, Paxton. What grade are you in? You're going into fourth grade. That's right. Do you, where do you go to school? HIS. I have no idea what that is. Once again, we're in all kinds of schools, but that sounds pretty cool. If you go to school named His, <laughs> you don't want to play them in football. I'm telling you, they're going to dominate. So Paxton, talk to me about serving the Lord. What have you seen? What are you interested in? Oh, and getting baptized. That's a great way to start serving the Lord. Yeah. Who else? Professing your faith publicly in Jesus is a way to get started serving the Lord. Yes, sir. Come on. What's your name, Gunner? <laughs> I got ESPN, baby. Do you know what that is? What? <laughs> I don't know either. So uh, how old are you? What grade are you going into? Um, second. second. You're coming out of first, going into second. Where do you go to school? McCullough Elementary. And, and have you seen somebody serving the Lord that you think that's pretty cool or there's some way you want to serve the Lord? What's that? Whoa, Gunner, come on, my man. That's awesome. I love that. Who else? Look at this guy. Put the shades on.
Joshua McWhorter, the one, the only. What grade are you going into? Fourth. Fourth grade. Where do you go to school? I'm going to ACA. You're going to ACA in Tuscaloosa? Nice, man. I hear you. So what about serving the Lord? What are you interested in? Serving other people. Serving other people. Like how? Anything in particular? Hey, okay, yeah, just, hey, I'm, he's like, I'm sitting on go, I'm just ready for whatever, and I love that attitude. Your dad is up here on the platform a lot of Sundays, he's up here today. What, is, what does he do up here serving the Lord? Uh, plays in the band. He plays in the band. I'm just saying, Joshua, put your glasses on. You, you look like you're ready to take your dad's electric guitar away from him. <laughs> good job, my brother, good job. Anybody else? Anybody else? No? Let me ask you this question. Who, just call out a name on the count of three. Somebody at Grace Life that you've seen serve the Lord. Maybe in kids ministry or whatever it may be. Your, your teacher, whoever it may be. On the count of three, just give them a big shout out, okay? One, two, three. Okay, that one was obvious because I'm sitting in front of you. You can't say Pastor Joel this time, all right? One, two, three. Fantastic. All right, you guys are hilarious. Hey, give these boys and girls a round of applause, everybody. Get out of here. I love that. So much fun. Is this where I belong? You uh, people who have to be precise, am I in the middle? All right, hopefully. So, you know, I like to preach through a book of the Bible. We've been in the book of Matthew. We'll pick that back up pretty soon. We love to go verse by verse at Grace Life, just expositional preaching. But in the month of July, we're stepping out of that, just doing some topical things. And, and really, it's kind of preseason stuff that we're talking about because we recognize we're moving into a, a new church season with new opportunities, new adventures. And so we're just trying to get our pumps primed for what God has in store for us. And so we're talking about what is a grace life. And let me just back up for a moment and remind you where we've been the last couple of weeks. And then we'll launch into where we are today in week three. So what is is a grace life? Well, first of all, a grace life is a life that's devoted to worshiping God. It's a life that's devoted to worshiping God. And we gave the definition from Warren Wearsby that day. You may remember that worship is the believer's response of all that he is in mind, emotions, will, and body to all that God is and says and does. And then from Isaiah chapter 6, we looked at five ingredients in worship. We have to have a vision of God. Secondly, conviction over our sin from God. And then confession of that sin to God. And then purification by God. And then dedication to God. And then we talked about what are some practical ways that we can position ourselves so that we can worship when we gather in this place, so that we can position the people around us to worship God when we come in this place. We said, you got to be here, be early. Some of y'all are still letting that one sink in, I know. 
be ready, be hospitable, be expectant, and be involved. And I would add to that, and if at all possible, stay till the end. Stay till it's over. Secondly, what is a grace life? A grace life is a life that's devoted to connecting to God's people. A life that's devoted to connecting. And that never stops. Just because you connected to three doesn't mean God's through with you connecting. It's all the time, constantly looking to connect with more and more people in the kingdom of God. And we said this, the way we do relationships is the way that we represent Jesus to the world. The way we do our relationships with each other is the way that we represent Jesus to the world. Jesus said, by this the world will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And there's these buzzwords that have taken off in our student ministry for the last six or seven years. No care and love, right? you got to know each other so you can care about each other so you can love each other. And when we love each other, we're going to see God do something special. And Jesus defined what that is. He said, when you love each other, the world will know who I am, that you're my disciples. We said last week that there's these one another statements about connecting together, loving each other, and they're all built around humility and unity and love. Humility, unity, and love. That's what ought to mark our fellowship together. It's beyond just simple friendship. It's below that. It's greater than that. It's humility and unity and love. And we said here's seven things to let go of, seven things to embrace so we can know each other, care about each other, and love each other. we got to let go of independence and embrace interdependence. we got to let go of pride and we got to embrace humility. we got to let go of past wounds. We gotta embrace present healing. Let go of peace faking and embrace peace making. Let go of short sightedness and embrace vision. Let go of being negative and embrace being positive. And let go of my club and embrace God's kingdom. Now, three, what is a grace life? Here's where we are today a grace life is a life that is devoted to serving God's church. A life that's devoted to serving. A grace life worships. A grace life connects. A grace life serves. Now let's imagine that, maybe this isn't using your imagination, this is going to happen after church today, after you go to pit cruise, because you're going to go to pit cruise today. You will go to pit cruise today. Every last single stinking one of you will go to a pit crew today in the name of Jesus. I'm calling it in right now, all right? But then after that, you're going to maybe go to lunch somewhere. You're, let's say you go to a restaurant. And you walk through the door, and man, you're, 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 you're hungry and if you hadn't just worshipped the Lord for a couple hours, you'd be like going hangry, right? But you're like trying to hold that back. And so you're this hungry customer walking in and your server comes to the table. Now in that moment, what is the difference between the mindset of you, the person sitting at the table waiting to be served, and the person standing at the table waiting to serve you? There's a big difference there in the mindset as the hungry customer, you're thinking about you. You're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about what you want. You're thinking about the kind of quality that you're expecting. You're thinking about the service that you're expecting to get. You're, you're thinking about what you want to order. But the person standing at the table who's waiting to serve you, they're not thinking about themselves. 
They're thinking about you. They're paying attention to you, what you're saying, what you're asking for, what you're ordering, how to give you a good experience. Now listen, what if we all showed up at church today thinking like customers? What if every single one of us that walked through those doors this morning walked in here thinking about me? What do I want today? What do I expect today? And if it doesn't happen, if I don't get what I want, if I don't get what I expect, then I'm not going to be happy. What would the place be like today if we all walked in thinking like that? What a miserable experience this would be. I don't think any of us would probably ever come back. It would be a horrible experience. Who would hold the doors, right? Who, who would take care of the babies? Who would clean up the spills? Who would teach the classes? Who would play the instruments? Who would have cut the grass before you got here? Who would have made sure the lake looks really nice when you're out there today walking around our recently paved asphalt track, 0.85 miles around? It's so amazing. Me and Ms. Sherry Parnell, we're, we're taking a lap today after church. Raise your hand, Ms. Sherry, so I know who you are. Ms. Sherry has never gotten to see this campus from the other side of the lake. But because Grace Life decided, let's pave that mug, me and Ms. Sherry are going to get to look at campus from the other side of the lake today. I'm going to sit in her lap, and we're going to cruise. That's the plan, right? Yes. I remember about that lake, years ago, Justin Lucas is sitting up there somewhere. There you are. He's right there. Raise your hand, Justin, so they can see you. Um, I've known Justin our entire life, and uh, he and his wife Megan started coming to Grace Life years ago. And I was doing their membership interview, and we were talking about how they might want to serve the Lord. And uh, Justin made this comment. He said, I really don't know what I can do, but I, I noticed the other day when you were playing a baptism video, uh, the lake looks really gross. And it was, like we were baptizing people in seaweed, like they were coming up looking like the monster from the deep, you know. It was crazy. And I hope you don't mind me saying this, Justin, but Justin said, I don't know what I could do in the church, but I know the lake looks kind of gunky, and I have a pond management company. Could that just be my ministry? Is that a way that I could serve the Lord? And I said, Justin, we're really going to have to pray about that. Yes. And from that day, really, till this day, man, that thing looks so amazing and so beautiful. Who would have done that if Justin and Megan had showed up thinking like customers? Who would make the coffee? Who would set up the classrooms? Who would turn the lights on? Who would turn them off? Who would unlock the doors? Who would lock them back up? Imagine if all of us came today expecting to get, expecting to be served, expecting to have everything the way we want it, expecting somebody to go out of their way for us to do whatever is necessary to put a smile on our face. You know what you call a church where everybody shows up thinking like a customer? I don't know, but you don't call it a church because that's polar opposite of the language that the Bible uses to define what a church is. And here's the question. If Jesus was a member of our church, how would he come to church? How would he come onto this campus and walk through those doors and walk among us? Would he come thinking like a customer or would Jesus be here thinking like a servant? 
I think the Bible answers that. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Bible says, For even the Son of Man, that is Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Philippians chapter 2, this is for my boy Dylan. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, watch this, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or be held on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We know, don't we, how Jesus would come to church. And if we say we're followers of Jesus, then that answers the question for us, how should I be going to church? What should be my mindset, my attitude, when I walk through the doors to gather with my church family? Now let me give you three really good reasons that you and I ought to serve God's church. Three really good reasons that you and I ought to be serving God's church. Number one, we are created to do just that. We are created to serve God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, let's look at that. It says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. We're created to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, if the posture of your heart today is anything other than serving God, I can promise you there is a sense of joylessness purposelessness in your life because you are not living out the reason that God has created you. It doesn't matter how much fortune or fame or success that you may have. If your heart is not bent to serve God, to serve people, to serve God's church, you're walking through life empty and joyless Do you know why that is? Because the Bible just told you, you and I have been hardwired by God to serve. He created us to serve. The greatest joy that you're ever going to have in your life. Students, listen to me. The greatest joy you're ever going to have in your life is serving somebody else. It's serving God, serving his church. Ask the duct tape team. How much fun they've had this summer. Raise your hand if you're on the duct tape team at Camp Shadow Lake. All right, and wave your hand like you just don't care if you've had a lot of fun this summer serving Jesus at Camp Shadow Lake. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. Some of you old guys, Chuck, you and your dudes, man, that were out here all day, every day for all of those years, working, man, yourselves to dust. And yet, Butch, how much fun was that? How much joy did you guys have? There is nothing that compares to living out the reason that God has created you for, and he's created all of us to serve. Secondly, not only are we created to serve, but we're saved to serve. 
Jesus died to save you from your sins so that you might serve him. We're saved to serve. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12 in just a second. But before we do, put it in context. Romans 1 through 11 is all about how we were dead in our sin, fallen short of the glory of God. God sent Jesus into the world that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us that we might be saved. And then he gets to Romans 12 and he says, okay, in light of this great salvation, here's why you're still on planet earth. Here's why God didn't just save you and take you to glory. Here's why you're here. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, but you live your life as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here's what Paul's saying. You are not saved by works, but you are saved to do good works. Works. We are saved to serve God. Do you know this? A saved heart wants to serve. A saved heart wants to serve. Now, if you don't have a heart that wants to serve, you need to check your salvation. You, you need to ask some hard questions. Why is there not in me a desire to serve? I say that I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus is a servant, but I don't have a desire to serve. There's a disconnect somewhere there. A saved heart is a heart that wants to serve. The Bible has no idea about a non serving Christian. It doesn't compute, it's not there. And here's good news for us this morning every Christian has been given by God particular ways to serve God that he has put together uniquely just for you. We looked at this verse earlier, but I want to go back and point something out. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Look at it again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, watch this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, the Bible's clear. God has prepared a path of service for you. God has prepared a path of ministry for you. God has already prepared a path for you to walk on, to do good things for his glory, for your joy, for the good of all peoples. The question this morning is, are you on that path? The path that God has designed for you to serve him. Or are you off that path serving yourself? Have you forgotten that you were created to serve? Have you forgotten that you were saved to serve? Are you on that path? Three good reasons to serve God's church. We're created to serve. We're saved to serve. Number three, we reflect Jesus when we serve. We're a reflection of who he is when we serve God. Mark 10, Philippians 2 already told us that Jesus came to serve. So when we serve... When we humble ourselves like Jesus did, we're reflecting who he is to our world. We're reflecting his character to our world. Listen, the mark of maturity for a Christian is not to know a lot of Bible. Now, I grew up thinking that. Some of y'all grew up thinking that. The mark of maturity is knowing a lot of Bible. And listen, I think that's part of it. But if you're not doing what the Bible says, what's the point? The mark of maturity isn't simply to know a lot of Bible. The mark of maturity is ministry. The mark of maturity as a believer is service. 
It's serving the Lord. It's meeting needs. It's caring about the people around you. And you got to know them to care about them so you can love them. Listen, at Grace Life, taking out the garbage is a mark of spiritual maturity. If you're too good to take out the garbage, you're too good to follow Jesus. This is what God has called us to do, to serve. Maturing as a follower of Jesus isn't simply about gaining more and more knowledge. We've got to practice what it is that we believe. And we believe the Bible says God has called us. He's created us to serve. He saved us to serve. We reflect Jesus when we serve. And listen, when you get a bunch of heat-seeking servant missiles gathered together in the same place, And I'm going to tell you what, Grace Life, I'm thankful that there's an arsenal in this local church of heat-seeking servant missiles. Sometimes I stand here and I preach sermons that I know, hey, we're kind of lacking a little bit right here. And then sometimes I preach sermons and I go, y'all, I would put you up as the poster children for what we're talking about today. And I am pretty doggone close to feeling that way today. We're, we're not there. we got some, some more room to grow in that. But I'm so thankful. Because when you get an arsenal of heat-seeking servant missiles gathered together, man, you're going to see something beautiful and glorious happen in that place. Let me tell you a couple of things are going to happen when that happens. Number one, Jesus' church is edified. His church is edified. That means built up. It's strengthened, right? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11, it says this, And he, that is Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. In other words, Jesus gave the church leaders. Why? To equip the saints. Who are the saints? Followers of Jesus. It's the saved. It's the born again. It's the redeemed. The leaders are to equip the saints. For what? To work. For the work of the ministry, to serve, for the building up of the body of Christ. Listen, when we walk through those doors like heat-seeking servant missiles, when we walk through life like heat-seeking servant missiles, Jesus' church is going to be beautifully, beautifully built up, beaming with his glory, with his love, with his character. Jesus gave his life for his church to do that. And I think some of you today are ready to give your life to that very same thing, that you want to see the glory of God displayed in his church. And you want to be a part of that. If that's throwing a sack of garbage over your back and hauling it to the dumpster, if that's part of it, you're all in. If it's changing that diaper back there in the nursery, you're all in. If it's weed eating out there around the lake, you're all in. If it's cooking that meal for somebody, you're all in. Whatever it is, if it's dumping all those grass carp in the lake, Justin, which still scare the bejeebers out of me, by the way. This morning, I'm in my zone. I'm walking out there, and one right beside me, they mess with me quite often out there. I thought somebody, like, shot a cannonball into the water. If you'd have been out there, you'd have thought, that guy's lost his mind. It was crazy. God's going to do something special when God's people embrace serving. His church will be edified. Secondly, 
Jesus' church is unified when we serve together. Stay in Ephesians 4, verse 13. Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Paul's painting a picture here of beautiful oneness, beautiful unity among God's people. Listen, in a world that's so broken and so fragmented, where everybody is so eager, it seems, quick to divide and be at odds with somebody, how refreshing would it be to see people really walking together in unity around the person and the work and the purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says the way to get there, to have that kind of beautiful unity here, is when the people of God are engaged together in serving the Lord and doing ministry. The church is edified, the church is unified. Number three, Jesus' character is personified. We already touched on this, but look at this, Ephesians 4.13. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul says, in other words, when you and I are doing our part, when we're all serving the Lord, the church is going to be built up so that it is a model of what Jesus is like. So the full measure of Jesus is what Paul says there. So when we embrace serving God and his church, we are literally the body of Christ walking around in this world. When all of us pick up our place in God's kingdom, we literally in this world are the body of Christ at work. His hands, his feet, his voice, his arms, his heart, his legs. We're walking Jesus into this world when we are all walking together in unity serving the Lord. Now maybe you're thinking right now, you know, I'd like to serve God, but I don't know what to do. I, I can't do much. That's what Justin said. I, I don't know what I can do. And then he put a but in there. And that's all you need, right? But maybe that's where you are yet. You hadn't, you hadn't found your butt yet, all right? You got to find it today because God's got something for you. You may be thinking, well, I don't have much to offer. Well, if you're thinking along those lines, you're not the first person to think that. The good news is that God not only uses people like Moses, who takes up 136 chapters of the Bible, 136 chapters, but God also uses people like Shamgar, who gets two verses. Now you're going, who's Shamgar? I'll tell you about Shamgar in just a minute. We'll get there. But before I do, I want to be clear here. You don't have to be famous for God to use you. You don't have to be powerful or elite in society for God to use you. You don't have to be the wealthy CEO of a billion-dollar organization for God to use you. You don't have to have a lot of social media followers for God to use you. You don't have to have some big Great, flashy platform for God to use you. Everybody doesn't have to know you for God to use you. And Shamgar's proof of that. Shamgar is not in the who's who of the Bible. He's in the who's he of the Bible. But in just one short verse, Shamgar gives you and I a lot to think about this morning when it comes to serving God. Before I can tell you about Shamgar, i got to put him in the middle of the book of Judges because that's where he is. So you got to understand what's going on in the book of Judges. When you get to the book of Judges, what's happened is, speaking of Moses, God's used him to bring God's people out of slavery and in Egypt. 
They've been wandering around in circles in the wilderness for 40 years, and God was meeting their every need. Even when they complained, even when they bickered, he still took care of them. He was faithful, right? And then Joshua brings them across over into the promised land. And you would think that when they got into the promised land, their minds would be so mindful of the faithfulness of God across generations. That that they would constantly be thinking about that and praising God for that. But that's not what happened. They get into the promised land and it's like they forgot God. They're finally free and they're home. But they forget the one who set them free. And they forget the one who brought them home. And the Bible says in the book of Judges that in that kind of setting, everybody started doing what was right in their own eyes. Every person just made up their own rules. Everybody just set their own standards. And the result of that is there is no standard. It sounds a lot like right now. I saw you mouthing that phrase right now as I was thinking that, and that really freaked me out for a minute. Right now, that is a reflection of where we are. And this grieved God's heart. And God's a jealous God. He's jealous for his people. If you're his people today, he's jealous for you. And that's really good news for us. We should be thankful that that's the character trait of God as it relates to us as people. Because when we start spiraling into a cycle like they were in Judges of self-destruction, God does not stand back apathetic toward us. No, he is jealous for us to rescue us, to grab us, to help us, to save us, to come to our rescue, to pursue our hearts. And the way he pursued his people in the book of Judges is like this. They would forget God, and so God would allow the surrounding people to conquer God's people, to oppress God's people, to make life difficult for God's people. Tough love. Through that, God would get their attention. They would turn their heart toward God. They would cry out to be rescued, and God would raise up a hero. God would raise up a rescuer to rescue his people. They're called judges. When we hear that word judge, we think black robe and a gavel, but that's not who these people are in the book of Judges. They were heroes. They were rescuers, and some of the rescuers were strong and masculine like Samson, and some of the rescuers were wise and feminine like Deborah, and some were mighty in military strength like Gideon. And then there was this rescuer by the name of Shamgar, and we speculate that Shamgar was simply a a farmer, But one day, seemingly out of nowhere, God raised up this obscure person in the middle of nowhere to a place where he would become a rescuer, a hero to the people of God. He would save them from the Philistines. Let me show you what happens in Judges chapter 3. God's retelling the story there, some of the rescue stories of these great judges, these great heroes, these great rescuers. And then we get to this one verse in Judges chapter 3, verse 31. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And he also saved Israel. An ox goad was just a pointy stick that when Shamgar's out there plowing his field behind the oxen and they started slacking off, 
poke them in the backside. And that'd get them going. It'd get me going too, right? It'd get them going. That's, that's what it was. That's what an ox goat is. And with this ox goat, he killed 600 Philistines and saved Israel. Listen, Shamgar is living during the dark days of the nation of Israel. God's people are hanging by a thread. And then in that fragile moment, here comes another wave. 600 Philistines. The odds are against Shamgar. It's 600 to 1. 600 to 1 that he could make a difference in the kingdom of God. 601, 600 to 1 that he could have any positive impact here among God's people. And some of you this morning, you're thinking of yourself and looking at yourself this morning thinking that the odds for you are about the same. It's about 600 to 1 odds that God could do something with me. About 600 to 1 odds that God has a purpose for my life. About 600 to 1 odds that I could make a meaningful impact in the kingdom of God. Some of you have convinced yourself or you've allowed others to convince you that you can't beat those odds. That you're just an also-ran. Your, your, your name's on the roster, but that's it. You'll never make a difference. The odds are too big. The fact is, if you are not willing to step into the ring with great faith against 600 to 1 odds, you will never accomplish anything great for the glory of God. We've got to step into the ring by faith, trusting God. Nothing worth doing is ever easy. Great achievements always involve a high degree of courage, a high degree of focus, a high degree of perseverance, and yes, a high degree of risk. So what is it this morning that God wants you to step into? In what way does he want you to roll up your sleeve against all odds and say, God, I want, I want you to use me however you see fit. God, would you use me to make a difference somewhere in this broken world for your glory? Yes, the odds are probably against you. That's kind of what makes this fun. It sets the stage for God to walk in and to do what only God can do. Let me give you three things to consider about Shamgar that might just help you beat the odds and make a difference for Jesus as you seek to serve him. Number one is this, start where you are. Start where you are. Shamgar started serving God right where he was, on his farm, somewhere in Israel. You also have to start serving God right where you are. The key word there is start. Just do it. Do it for the love. Just do it. Stop thinking about it. Stop talking about it. At the risk of sounding really unspiritual, it may be time to stop praying about it. And just do it. Get started. Shamgar started where he was. He didn't start as a judge. He didn't go to superhero training school. He was just where he was. 
on the south side of a couple of oxen. That ain't no view. With a pointy stick in his hand. That's where he was. Plowing his field. And here comes 600 Philistines. He started right where he was. You know, some of you won't get started because you don't want to start where you are. You don't want to start small. It's interesting today. When I was coming up, early years of ministry, man, if churches were looking to hire somebody to be a pastor, ministry staff, whatever, I mean, stacks of resumes. And now that's not happening out there. I asked a pastor, a friend, a friend of mine not too long ago, I said, what, what has changed? And I don't know if he's right about this or not. He may be on to something, though. He said, this generation, they want to start at the top. They, they think they're entitled to begin at this level up here and not start where they are. Maybe that's keeping some of you from starting where you are. But listen, the Bible says if you'll be faithful with little, God will entrust you with much. Don't despise the small things. God's in the small things. I'm so thankful. Talking about resumes. James, I remember 25 years ago we met, right? And y'all walked me upstairs and said, here's your classroom. You're our youth pastor and here's where the youth meet. A 400 square foot room. And this past Friday night, I'm with Pastor Bryant and some of our great adults, and we're walking our students around a 3,136,320-square-foot campus. I did that math in my head, 72 acres times 3.1 million square feet. Don't despise where you are because it doesn't seem big enough. Don't despise starting where you are because it doesn't seem Glorious enough. I love this verse, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. God says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work, what? Begin. Just get started. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all the answers. Just get started. We walk by faith, not by sight. Just get started. Start serving God right where you are. Now, some of you aren't getting started serving God right where you are because you're waiting on perfect conditions. You perfectionists. Listen, if you're waiting on everything to be perfect, you're never going to get started. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says this, Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. If you're waiting for perfection before you step out, you are going to miss out. So get started right where you are. Secondly, use what you have. All Shamgar had was a pointy stick, an ox goad. He didn't have a black hawk. He didn't have a hand grenade. He didn't have a sword. He didn't even have toenail clippers. He's just got a stick. He wasn't a man of war. He was a man of the soil. But when it came to the kingdom of God, he had a warrior's heart. Listen to me, gentlemen. It's better to have a warrior's heart in a garden than a gardener's heart in war. Rise up, men, women. Let's be warriors 
in the kingdom of God. Maybe you've not gotten started serving or maybe you've been holding back because you think, well, the resources I have, the talent that I have isn't significant. But the significant, the insignificant becomes eternally significant when you place it in the hands of God. Moses had a rod. David had some rocks. Shamgar's got a pointy stick. What do you have? Put it in the hands of God. Trust him with it. Get started where you are. Use what you have. Third, do what you can. Do what you can. If you'll do what you can, God may just do what you cannot do. You do what you can, God will do what you can't. You can't do everything, but you can do something. How many of you know that today? You can do something. Don't let the devil talk you out of that. Don't let him lie to you that it doesn't matter, that it's so small, it's so insignificant. Not when you put it in God's hands. You can't do everything, but you can do something. So do what you can. Why? Because God's created you to serve. God saved you to serve. And you reflect Jesus when you serve. So start where you are today. Use what you have. Do what you can. God will take care of the rest. So God, we bow our hearts before you today, thankful and excited that as your people, you've not called us to sit in the stands and watch. You've called us into the huddle. And you're calling a play that you have prepared for us to execute. You've placed us where we are for such a time as this. You've given us what we need. Now, God, would you give us that last measure of faith today that would draw us across the line to say, God, here I am. Use me any way that you want. Any way that you want, God. I want my life to be defined by serving my Savior all the day long. Are you ready for that today, church? I love what Paul said to Timothy. He said, stir up the gift that's in you. I've been praying for you today, church, that God would do that. That you would do that today. That you would stir up that gift that's in you. Fan it into flame. Shake it up a little bit today and get excited that God's not finished with you. The best days are still in front of you. God's got a purpose, a plan. He's prepared things for you to do, to walk in. Trust the Lord for that today. And say, God, here I am. Use me. And here's what I have. Use this. I'm all yours. Let's stand and let's worship the Lord today.